Hello and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news, and give you unique insights into the industry. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 118th episode in a show called Lullaby of a Nightmare. Today is Monday, April 25th, and we're going to talk to Justin Pavas, founder of Ape Law, uh, to talk about the release of episode one of the psychological horror game Albino Lullaby, which is a Steam VR title where he was the creative director. So welcome to the show, Justin. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Welcome. So as I always do, first question, what is the sure. news of the week? What's happening in your world? I am setting up the perfect room scale uh, VR station in my garage today. <laughs> so what does uh, that entail? Do you have like a whole flooring and movement area? What's all that Yeah, about? I set aside a whole huge space. It's nice, perfectly square. And I, I set it up so the wiring comes in from the ceiling. So it'll be coming in behind the headset from the ceiling so you can't get tangled. And uh, I've got enough slack so you can get to the edges of the uh, the space and even, like, get down on your knees and look at the floor. Oh. So it's going to be fun. I haven't tried it out yet, but I just got it set up. Did you install the inevitable camera so that your friends can laugh while you do this? <laughs> <laughs> no. That's one of the best parts. I love watching people use VR. You can just watch them. <laughs> I should record it, yeah. Flailing around in the darkness. <laughs> Screaming quietly to yourself. <laughs> Completely bewildered yes now i believe you're from boston so please tell me you went to pax east um yes i did for a day i was there on sunday ah excellent did you go are you yeah yeah yeah. i was speaking there um on friday and then i got to hang out i love pax east it's great yeah it's a lot of fun okay indies this year yeah yeah indie mega booth is big yeah, this year is even more than last year. Indy's taken over. <laughs> yeah, Indy's from Australia now. Who's that? Uh, the was, yeah, there was a section called uh, Aussie Indies or something like that that people oh, really? came over. Yeah, just to just to do that. There was even a developer from Africa, interestingly. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get to see much. The crowds were impenetrable, and I was there <laughs> just so briefly. Yeah, Sunday was a good day. I suspect for that. It's a little better. All right, so what are your childhood games, some of your favorite things that you played, other than with action figures, which I understand was your deal? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, geez, games? Like, I mean, I always loved the original Mario. That was, you know, I just addicted to that. But uh, I'd say my favorite game of all time is probably System Shock 2. I don't know if you ever played that. Uh, no, no. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's uh, the predecessor to Bioshock, actually. And uh, you're, you're sort of set loose on this... Uh, spaceship that has traveled through uh, time and space um, at light speed and sort of come out, you know, lost in space and uh, everything's kind of screwed up. And uh, you have to figure out uh, what went down. What was interesting about it was that it was uh, really emergent, sort of like the Thief games. So there's a bunch of different ways you could play it. You could sneak around. You could be like a heavy weapons guy. You could use like uh, uh, psychokinetic powers and stuff. Um, so really it sort of adapted to the way you played at the time. Didn't you win, I thought this was listed as one of the top 10 level, one, level designs or something like that. Like I thought you, as a level designer for that, was it you? For System Shock? Yeah. I thought that no. I saw something like that. Right I wasn't there. on that. No. Okay. I mean, it probably won a lot. Um, that was an older game. That was like, um, that was, uh, like 99. I think that game came out. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. How about you? What are some of your favorite childhood games? Oh man, well that was that was back in the days when I did consoles. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So which I've moved away from into the PC world. So I think the original Ninja Gaiden. 
Oh, yeah. Probably one of my favorites. Yeah. And, of course, uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, all that stuff. I'm I'm showing my age now. Oh, no, I love those games. I I remember running upstairs to play Mike Tyson's Punch-Out one morning and seeing some weird dude sleeping in my playroom. Oh, man. (laughs) And I was just, I wasn't really worried about the dude. I was just so bummed that I couldn't just play Mike Tyson's (laughs) Punch-Out. You'd wake him. That was your concern. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. So were your action figures? Did you do the whole He-Man? Like, I had Thundercats and He-Man... I was heavily focused on He-Man and Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles, okay. Oh, yeah. Nice. Mostly He-Man and then Ninja Turtles after that. I graduated to Ninja Turtles. <laughs> it was majority. <laughs> Who does not love Ninja Turtles? How about you? You played with Thundercats, you said? Yeah, yeah. I liked Silverhawks a lot, too. I don't know if it was kind of an <laughs> obscure show. Yeah, yeah, I know it. Those yeah. cool helmets. Yes, very much so. <laughs> Okay, so level designer, QA tester, games analyst, you have a pretty diverse background. How did you get from, you know, Moby Games, Irrational, all the way to here, to founding a company? Well, I always wanted to uh, design games, so I started, but I started in QA, because that's sort of like the mail room of the industry. Is that a drudgery? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. A drudgery? Yeah, I hear that people sometimes, it's difficult, it's very difficult to be a QA tester. It requires a lot of, you know, concentration and fortitude. It's a job. You know, and <laughs> I know people like game developers, you know, sometimes jobs feel uh, excruciatingly painful. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's just normal. It's just a normal job. <laughs> but uh, some people might describe it as, as hellish. <laughs> um, if what you want to be doing is like, you know, designing games or doing art and stuff and you're doing that, like sort of checking lists and doing numbers and sort of doing stuff over and over and over again, it can feel like really repetitive like, the allure, I think, is really strong. Like, play video games all day at a game company, work at Sony, but then you get stuck on, like, uh, you know, a really boring game or something, a really complicated game, and you have to do stuff over and over and over and over again. And the glamour soon dissipates. <laughs> it loses its shine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good job. It is. But it's a good way in, if you're trying to get started, for sure. Thanks. So, uh, let's talk, I guess, about... Um, you want to talk about Ape Law and how you got to have that name? Because I'm thinking of the Planet of the Apes when I hear this. Like, how did you name this? Well, me and my buddy in college were really into Planet of the Apes. Oh. We were obsessed. We did this, like, theater production for a color theory class. Wow. On Planet of the Apes? <laughs> yeah. Oh. We, like, played apes, and we took the whole class, like, back in time to the Planet of the Apes or whatever. And uh, For color theory? <laughs> for color theory. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> We were, like, talking about the color significance of ape culture. Okay. Is there, like, an outfit color significance? Yeah, I think it was, like, green was sort of, like, like the chimpanzees wore green. It represented, like, science and progress. Oh, okay. And uh, the uh, orangutans are orange, so on. Yeah, that's true, <laughs> now that I think about it. I just thought it was, like, fur matching. I never took it to that level. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was kind of a loose connection so that we could have an excuse to, <laughs> to talk about and like, play Plan of the Apes. <laughs> wow, the Star Trek of, of yeah. color theories. But we used, So we used to make short films, and we, uh, we called our company Ape Law, and we had this flag that said law on it, and we'd plant it in the ground. <laughs> ever since then, I wanted to make a company called Ape Law. Okay, okay. So there it was. Couldn't think of a better name after that. No, it's great. Thanks. So you formed a company, and then there's other fabled industry vets that we never read about. Who are these fabled industry vets? The fabled Jack Terror Jack from uh, Warner Brothers. 
he's a media guy. He's a um, he's our PR guy. Um, he's he's an awesome guy. You got to meet Jack Terror. Whenever anybody recognizes me or recognizes my Ape Loss shirt, they're always like, "Hey, where's Jack Terror?" Oh, okay. What about me, man? <laughs> he's marketing <laughs> himself. He's That's good right. at it. <laughs> and then uh, we have uh, Ryan Buckley, who did uh, all the sound and music for Albino Lullaby. Oh. And he's worked with me on every project I've ever done, pretty much. And uh, he did the sound for uh, Chivalry Medieval Warfare. I don't know if you played that game. Oh, I hear that the soundtrack is actually available for Albino Library or Albino Library on your website. I saw. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's nine ninety nine. Yeah. Um, you can also get it with a season pass. I think for Albino. I don't it's know. I played the demo you sent me. <laughs> oh, you did? Yes, yes, I did. Oh, I only sent you a demo. Uh huh. Well, it's a Steam code. I think I'm not sure if it's the whole. I'm like halfway through, and then I had to take a break because I was scared. <laughs> Where'd you get to? <laughs> I got to the. Um, I got all the way through where I was getting towards. I think the grandmother, and then they caught me. They caught me in this place where I went over the bridge. Yeah. And there was like a jail, and I was supposed to go in the jail, and of course it said like you know did you free whatever his name is and then i couldn't like figure out how to get past the next part where they were standing in front of the door so i had to sneak at that point and i snuck but i couldn't get through to the next section so i i kept coming back to the jail and like getting lost so that i had to keep going huh. after that oh, i'm sorry no, no no it's good i just i needed i was like i said it's a very intense game <laughs> it's very <laughs> intense i'm not even using vr and it's very intense oh you were playing in vr no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not even using VR, and it was still intense. I can't imagine it actually having an Oculus and going <laughs> through the whole thing. It's crazy because you suddenly realize how tall those guys are. Like you're actually looking up at them. Oh, really? Oh. You know, like you actually have to crane your neck. It's pretty. It's pretty immersive. Okay. Well, we will talk about the game in a little bit. Let me. Okay. Let me get to the history, so we can so, talk about all the awesome things you've done in the past, and then we'll focus on the present. What you're doing sure, right now? Sure. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yes. Okay, now I just have to pause here, because you have special thanks on Bioshock Infinite and Tomb Raider, and then Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. What does special thanks mean? <laughs> you know, it's kind of a bummer, you know, I was I was uh, level design on both of those games. But just special thanks? <laughs> I know, it's kind of a bummer. Oh. <laughs> I was at uh, Crystal Dynamics for about six months. Okay. And it was a contract position. Uh, so I did some level design for them. Some of the stuff is still in the game, like connecting tunnels to uh, the puzzle segments. There's a bit right at the beginning where you have to climb across a crumbling plane that falls down a ravine. I did that part. I did some of the training stuff in there. Oh, and I did pathing for some of the animals. That was a treat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, collision fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Bioshock is an amazing game. Just, just I can't imagine. Bioshock Infinite, one of my favorites oh. ever. Thanks. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was interesting. I was on that for two years in pre-production, and then uh, w- between the time I left and the time that the game shipped, they completely built a whole other game. It's crazy. Oh, really? From the initial like vision that you guys were talking about? Yeah, just it was a totally different thing. Like in a, in a year, it just completely turned around. Hmm. Interesting. We'll delve into that perhaps later on when we're not on the show. Okay. <laughs> so how did the idea of albino lullaby come about um i don't know i had been thinking about it since i was in uh school for game design and we were working on this like experimental thing where uh you're trapped in a library and you had to get out of the library 
And uh, as you got closer and closer to figuring out the puzzle, the, the sounds and, and whatnot outside the library would sound more and more gruesome. Mm. And so we wanted to see if we could convince people to not actually want to escape the library. So, uh, you know, it was a little experiment. And uh, we wanted to take those ideas and uh, expand upon those into what became the, the bigger game of Albino Lullaby. Yeah, it's very, as you say, it uses a lot of the senses, you know, not, that you don't think about perhaps in other games. And maybe this is an aspect of VR, too. But it is very, you know, visual, audio, you know, even almost touch. There's like a lot of different things at play. Cool. It's very influenced by that game I mentioned earlier, System Shock 2, which oh. puts all those elements together to create like a really palpable atmosphere. Yes. You know, the way it is art style, stylistically, um, when you first go in, at least for me, I expected something different until it became twisted. <laughs> very, very twisted, Justin. <laughs> so what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So how, imagination, very interesting. Um, and also it's clever because it has, you know, there were times where I did not do this, but I was... Uh, a couple of us in press were playing it, and one of the other people decided to walk into the fire, which I was not going to do. But the little messages there, you know, are hilarious when you do something that is probably not wise, you know, and you come back to life again. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe we should have made the limits more clear. No, no, you really don't. That's basic 101. Don't walk into the fire with almost any game you play. So you deserve to be chastised when, you, when that happens. Yeah. Good. Glad you're with me on that. I am. So, set in a Victorian underground town. Why this era, particularly? No, I guess it just feels so haunting because uh, I, I to, you know, I think to, the reason it's haunting, sort of subconsciously to everybody, is because everybody from that time is dead. Mm. So you see it, and you just think it just feels old, and but somehow familiar, you know. It's but it's all dead. <laughs> but it's all dead. Yes. <laughs> Okay. So, uh, so yeah, I don't know. It just—it just, just kind of happened. Felt right. Now, this was a Kickstarter game initially, mm-hmm. right? So, tell me about the experience of, of of doing that. You guys just decided, okay, we're going to form our own game company, and this is going to be our first out of the gate. We're going to have a Kickstarter. Yeah, um, it seemed like the popular thing to do. <laughs> yes, yes, it a seemed, bit. seemed to work. It, it worked best for uh, PR. Uh, the money that we earned from Kickstarter um, was. Spent mostly on some of the rewards, and uh, you know what wasn't enough to. Yeah, it's like twenty five thousand, right? It wasn't a huge amount for a game. Right. Yeah, um, it helped a little bit, and uh, but uh, the PR, and you know, we sort of helped to build a base with the Kickstarter, and that was that was really what was most valuable for for us. Okay, so who does the art for this? Um, I did a lot of the art in like that the Victorian house and whatnot. Okay. Uh, we also had some other artists, a guy named Liskar. He did the uh, models of the grandchildren. Yeah. Um, when I did them, they were just these tubes with faces drawn on them, and uh, Liskar added the fleshiness and the dimension to them with a uh, ZBrush. Mm-hmm. And then we had uh, Li- uh, Lucas Annunziata uh, towards the end of the project, and he filled a lot of the blanks in, um, doing some prop modeling and stuff for us uh, towards the end and optimization and stuff. Um, we also had Emily Kiefer really early on in the project, and she sort of helped us define our uh, our look for uh, the textures with sort of the, the sketchy lines. Um, and even before that, we had Tyler Walters, who works at Oculus now, and uh, he helped us optimize our, our texture system right off the beginning, too. So he was a huge help. 
Now, all of you work uh, in separate areas of the country, right? It's like a Skype scenario? Yeah, we all communicate on Skype. Okay. And how does that work out? It's not ideal, but it, it works, which is pretty cool. And we can share files readily and, you know, call each other and... Uh, it's only it's only difficult when we can't like point at each other's computer screens or use our hands to describe an animation or something. You know? <laughs> well, Google Hangouts are pretty awesome, and sharing screens, you know. Yeah, it's better. It's definitely getting better. And with that new Facebook VR thing, did you see that? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna get better. So. So why a VR game right out from the gate? It seems like an ambitious like first choice. It was really honestly. It was really just how cool it was. It was just—it was so awesome that I wanted to to play with it, and I wanted to have an excuse to play with it as much as possible. Ah, okay. Uh, so we had a DK. My wife got me a development kit for my thirty-third birthday, and uh, I plugged it into my computer, and it just worked with Albino Lullaby, and it was so incredible to be surrounded by the game world, and our like um, design philosophies fit VR really well, sort of like player-driven pacing and you know player-centric identity kind of stuff mm-hmm. and uh that you know it just made perfect sense to keep going with it and keeping it in mind there was no reason to say we're not doing vr if it just happened to work on it and so we sort of changed our design bits a little bit like uh you know like moments where we were used to control the camera you know like in the car we'd have you looking around we we released the camera so the player could look around at their own pace and uh, we found that, you know, players prefer to have the freedom to kind of miss things, you know, as long as they have that freedom of expression to look around where they want. Cool. Now, there's always a lot of talk right now, because it's pretty new, um, how VR fits into like the future of indie games and um, the different things that are coming out now. It seems, you know, more popular. But then there's always the, the concept of, oh, it's new tech. It might take a while. What yeah. do you, how do you think that's going to go as far as the audience of people that will have access to it and how long it might take to become kind of mainstream. I don't know. I I think it's going to become mainstream quicker than we think, but I don't think it's going to be right away. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, you know, since everyone's going to have it on their phone, it's going to be pretty cool. I don't think it's going to take over video games or going to take over movies, but it's going to be its own separate uh, thing. I think for sure. Will this only work on Oculus? Are you thinking later on to have it uh, Android compatible with some of the the VR that connects with that and other types of VR besides just Oculus? It would be awesome if it worked on the more portable uh, platforms, but it's it's more, it's like unre- it's more uh, intense than that. I think we'd have to really pare it back for it to work on some of those. Gotcha. So it works on Oculus. It also works in the Vive, and we're hoping it'll work on PlayStation Morpheus as well. But for like a cell phone, like the Samsung Galaxy or something, uh, mm-hmm. we'd have to like we'd have to really chop it to make it work on that. Yeah, I guess that makes sense because having the the sound in this is a really big aspect, and having um, the grandchildren yelling at you and turning towards them and everything like that, I think maybe you would need the more immersive kind of cover your whole face scenario of yeah. the Oculus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think so. Yeah, the the color scheme is really interesting too. You know, it's such a vibrant kind of electric color scheme for underground but thanks yeah um it was it was one way to you know create depth you know with going from warm to to cool colors and whatnot um but also uh to sort of charge each room with like a different kind of mood mm-hmm. uh, it's also kind of beetlejuicey like the yeah, yeah. the afterworlds from beetlejuice is all lit with like a dark ride uh black light colors 
Um, yeah, it just creates kind of a, a creepy mood, like you're in some kind of like um, like butcher shop or like a weird, you know, red light district. Did you think about any of the social aspects of this game? I mean, you're dealing with blindness. You're dealing with um, mutilation of children. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with the whole, like, almost, like, physical um, threat, you know, around yes. you. Especially, you know, we don't want to release... <laughs> we won't go too far into it, but is the social aspect of something that you were considering? Are you trying to make a commentary? Or is it just, like, this is what is frightening, so we'll add it? Yeah, we're definitely... We definitely think it's more of a piece of like, oh, God, I feel so like pompous saying this, but like we, we in, endeavored to create like a, like something that was art and wasn't just like pure entertainment. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, we do definitely think about the social aspect of it. We do want people to think about it. When I came up in the cage to the bedroom, mm-hmm. that was, I have not been that nervous in a game in a really long time. Like, because you can hear him in the bathroom. Yeah. And you don't know if you push these buttons, you know, the red buttons, if right. that's, if all of a sudden someone's going to come charging out <laughs> at you. It's just such a tense situation. It's cool. Yeah, it's, it's almost like uncomfortable to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> that's great, though. Cool. It seems to be well received. I mean, you won the winner of Epic Award Narrative World Building. Yeah, know. that was awesome. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, people have a good time, I think. <laughs> they like to be scared. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think if people get into I think it's not a game for everybody, but I think for the people that do enjoy it, they really, really enjoy it. Uh-huh. See, for me, I'm kind of a wimp when it comes to games. Like, blood and gore really bothers me. Even, like, Don't Starve mm-hmm. will bother me, which is just pathetic, <laughs> really, that it does. But this game, other than the psychological aspects of it, I didn't, I wasn't bothered by the visuals, which is probably like one of the few games I can play that is this frightening, that Mm -hmm. wasn't like offensive in that sort of gore way. Like it's not that sort of game. Can you talk about like the design decisions there? You mean as far as not putting gore in? Yeah. Yeah, we wanted to, I wanted to see if I could challenge myself to like freak you out without relying on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you're not seeing in these chairs and in the church and everything. You're not seeing like mutilated. It'd be so easy to just throw that in. Mm-hmm. I think we've seen so much of it now. It's like you're kind of numb to it. You know, players in general are kind of numb to it, and uh, it somewhat makes things less scary and kind of like expected. Oh, okay. You know, it's sort of comfortable. It's like, oh, this is a horror that I feel comfortable in and can recognize. There's the buckets of blood. Yep, yep. There's the hanging chains. Okay, yeah, yeah. I know how this is gonna go. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. We do have plenty of hanging chains. But... Well. <laughs> and flyers. Right. <laughs> but uh, so we're, we're trying to sort of, um, instead of lay everything out, like, here's exactly what happened. This guy's arm was chopped off, you know, and separated 15 feet from the body. We're trying to allow players' imaginations to sort of run wild as far as what happened here or yeah. could happen here or what the purpose of this place is. It feels very much like a factory almost until you get up into the town. And <laughs> so that was disturbing cool. too. All right. So what else do you think we should talk about? What else should I ask you here? Cause I'm kind of at the end of the questions that I was really curious about um, sure. that you want to share with people. Um, well, gee, so where did you get to? You said, 
Um, I got through the Victorian town and I was stuck when I began the, the first time they taught you how to sneak. That you taught uh, us how to sneak. So I, I snuck for a while and I went into the bedroom and I pushed the button on the side of the bed. But I couldn't find the the last one uh, to get out of that area. So I have to kind of wander around there some more. And I kept getting trapped in the corner with the light, the blue lights. And I every time I'd leave the room, they were just there waiting for me. So I couldn't, okay. I couldn't like get out of the area. I don't know if that's specific enough. <laughs> yeah, I know where you are. That part's kind of hard. You have, you have to revisit it, I guess. Okay. Yes, yes. Um. Yeah, no, I don't know, unless you have any other questions for me. No, I'm just tell everyone, if you would, like where they can find it and, um, and, and Steam, etc. But, you know, where exactly they can sure. find it and what requirements they might need to play. It's on Steam. Uh, it's also an Oculus Home Store. You don't need VR to play it, but it's totally awesome in VR. <laughs> um, we've got some updates coming um, for uh, the Vive soon with uh, room scale and uh, hand controller support. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's going to be pretty cool. That's something to look forward to. Um, you can also get it um, on the Vive store uh, as well. I've got to tell you, this is really fun to play with friends. I know it sounds weird because they're single <laughs> playing, but uh-huh. when I played, I was on Skype with other people. Oh, yeah? And they were just like, no way! And then you get to that point, you know, too. It was just really neat to see like other people's reactions. As they <laughs> so were you playing or was someone else yeah, playing? Yeah, I was playing and I was at a different, I was ahead of the other people playing. So I would get to something and I'd be like, oh my gosh, and like, what, what? Like, wait 10 <laughs> minutes and then you'll find. Well, do you have a theory of what the grandchildren are and what's going on here? I don't because they don't look humanoid. They're so different. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, the grandmother and everything, like, I'm not sure. I, I assume that it sounded like they were almost raising you. They call you worm, like they were going to eat you or eat parts of you. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to guess that far ahead. Okay. Yeah. I'll probably get there and just be completely grossed out. So we'll see. <laughs> I look forward to hearing your thoughts. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much. Well, Have thank you. you. <laughs> All right. Awesome. That's fun. <laughs>